O come, O come, Emmanuel. It's a great holiday hymn that we love to sing every single year, and it has been around for a long time. After all, church, we want Jesus to come into our life, don't we? And we want Jesus to come into the life of this congregation, this church. And so we invite him in, and one of the ways we do that, one of the many ways, is singing this hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which we started and kicked off today's service with in a video. Emmanuel is such a a beautiful name. It's been around for over 1,200 years, written by unnamed monks uh, over 1,200 years ago. It was a Gregorian chant to start with. And then in the 15th century, some nuns in France discovered the chant and put music to the words and created the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. But then it got under some papers and filed away and somewhere else until in 1861, a priest by the name of John Neal rediscovered the song, translated it into English, and today we have the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's a beautiful song. Emmanuel is the Hebrew transliteration of a word that means God with us, literally. And we see that come to fruition in in the Christmas story as we tell it every single year. And in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, we see the angel as he's talking to Mary and Joseph, and he says, and Mary will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The angel quotes a prophecy made by the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 7 is where it's found some 740 years before Jesus is born. I mean, imagine a world, a nation, a people waiting 740 years for a gift to be delivered. We would have some problems with Amazon if that were the case for us, right? Most of us have waited all year long for this moment in time to be with friends and family. And I don't know for you, for me, starting out the year, I thought, man, what a great gift to have COVID gone and we're not worrying about that anymore. That's not the case. We're adjusting to a new normal. But maybe for you in your own life, it's the idea that, hey, this time of year is when we get to sample those special sugar cookies with the icing on top. I sampled just a few too many of those throughout the course of the holiday. Maybe it's that, that trip that you get to take to grandma's once a year and you, you smell that, uh, those wonderful smells wafting out of the kitchen as she cooks and you have that nostalgic moment where you're with friends and family in the living room and you're enjoying each other's company. Maybe it's, it's the vacation time that you take this time of year and you go maybe to a, a warmer climate or a place where you just don't have to think too much about work and what might be going on in the world around you. Maybe it's that that trip across town or across the state where you get to hang out with friends that you haven't seen all year long. You and I have waited all year long for this moment to happen. Can you imagine, though, waiting 740 years? That's 25 generations in a family for the gift of Jesus Christ to be delivered. That's a long time to wait 
But what we recognize is that our God is a relational God. And he wants to be a part of your life and wants to be walking with you every single day, not just during Christmas time, but every single day of your life. And the Apostle John wrote that for us, reminded us of that in John chapter 1. We read this last week. I want to read it again this week about Jesus Christ, the greatest gift that we could ever hope for coming to earth. And John begins to write in verse 1, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God and God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, a guy by the name of John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. And John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he came into the very world that he created. But the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Luke chapter 2 we unpacked two weeks ago. We didn't go far enough into the chapter to talk about this next part of the story, but there's a guy by the name of Simeon who is an older Jewish man working at the temple in Jerusalem, and he's waited his entire life for the Messiah to show up, for the Son of God to present himself, when suddenly, this particular day, he's working at the temple, Mary and Joseph show up with their eight-day-old baby Jesus to be consecrated at the temple. The text says that the Holy Spirit came upon Simeon and told him he would not die until he held the Messiah in his hands. And Mary and Joseph walked to Simeon and present Jesus. Simeon holds Jesus, looking at him, recognizing that he's holding the Savior of the world. He's believed this his whole life. This is going to happen. And here it is, finally here. But you know, there may be some of us here this morning or maybe watching online that don't have the kind of faith that Simeon had. And that's okay. Because all of us had to start somewhere. All of us had to start at a starting point, moving toward a deeper faith in that Savior, in the light of the world, in the Son of God. Because truly, there there are some moments in our lives, and even this holiday uh, season will bring the kind of tension that we don't really hope for. It will bring a, a difficult moment. There will be a relationship that is strained. 
There will be not enough money to finish out the day. There will be illness that happens. We'll experience an, an empty chair at the holiday dinner table this year. We ask the question in those moments, where is God in this? In this pain that I'm feeling, in the tension that I feel, in the brokenness that I feel, where is God in this? And maybe some of you this morning have done something in your past that you consider incredibly shameful. And you're wondering, how in the world could God enter my story? How could he have that kind of love for me, knowing where I've come from, what I've done, who I've been. But my hope for you today, church, is that we will rekindle the flame of hope in your life and help you realize that God is with you, that he loves you. He wants the very best for you. He really is Emmanuel. And so in the little time we have left this morning, I want to give you three ideas, very simple ideas that you can take with you this week as we head into the, the end of the Christmas season and moving on into next year. Three ideas that I hope that it will resonate within you as you walk and journey, recognizing that Emmanuel is indeed God with you. And the first idea is this, that God is indeed with you. As Gabriel appears to Mary in Luke chapter 1 and verse 28, he says, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. And there are some of you here this morning, some of you watching online, who are hurting right now because of what life has kind of thrown your way. And I want you to know that in more ways than you can imagine, God is with you right now in your difficulty after all, he is the God of all comfort. He's the God that pulls alongside of us. Paul knew that about our God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul uses the term parakaleo, which in Greek means to pull alongside. He's the God that pulls alongside you and me in our grief, in our difficulty, in tense moments. He comes alongside of us in our trouble. In Bruce Wilkinson's uh, book, The Prayer of Jabez, he gives a real-life example of a moment that happened with he and his wife and his small uh, little boy at a park. Uh, some of us remember these slides from back in the day. Uh, they don't really are much around anymore. But I remember in the story reading how Bruce and his wife were watching their three- or four-year-old son play on the slides, and there were three different sizes in the park, and so... He went and got on the very smallest slide first, and the son climbed to the top and slid down, no problem. He got back on the ladder, climbed up, slid down. He did that several times, and he felt like he'd mastered that. Then there was a middle-sized slide in the park as well, which the son went to, and he climbed about halfway up. He looked down, he looked up at the top of the slide, and he looked over at mom and dad. Mom was a little bit nervous at this point. Bruce, you need to go help our son. Wait just a Let's see what he does. He looked down again. He looked up. He looked at mom and dad, and he started climbing the ladder yet again. He got to the top, and he slid down. The son realized he could do it, and so he began that several times until finally it was time to conquer the largest slide in the park. He gets about a third way up the ladder of that largest slide, and he looks down, and he looks up, and hits a long ways up there, and he looks at mom and dad, and mom is beside herself now. 
Bruce, you need to go help our son. Oh, let's wait. Let's see what he does. The son looked down at the ground again and up at the top again and over at mom and dad, and he says what Bruce had been longing for. Daddy, I need your help. And with tears running down his face, Bruce went to the slide, climbed the ladder, and he and his son went all the way to the top and slid down together. And Bruce says, that's a picture of what God wants for us in our life. He's just waiting for you to invite him into your story because he's a relational God. He wants to be a part of what's going on in your life. He wants to dig into the difficulties that you're experiencing right now, the tough times. And and some of us are recovering from long illnesses. Some of us are working through cancer treatments. And you need to know in those moments that God is with you. Some of us are trying to find new lines of work because there's just not enough money left at the end of the month. And so we need a new career path. We need to go a different direction. And God is with you in that moment as you're looking. Some of us are working through difficult moments in our marriages. It's been a little rocky, and I want you to know God is with you in your difficult moments. Some of us are praying for our children, our grown children, who are far from God, and we want them to come home to Jesus. God is with you in your moment. We need to understand that Emmanuel is so true for every one of us. After all, we serve an incredible God. A God that is absolutely almighty and everlasting. His son is the prince of peace, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is God. And he loves you. He is for you. But not only is God with you, God was with you as well. If you're anything like me, sometimes the easiest way to see God is looking in the rearview mirror, isn't it? It's like moments you had way back when, and in the moment, you weren't sure. But now that you've had some distance, you look back and you go, oh yeah, God was with me in that moment. God was with me in that relationship, that decision, that parenting moment. God's been with me all along. And sometimes looking backwards is the best way to see how God has been a part of your journey. One of the best stories that reflect that is found in our Old Testament The last half of the book of Genesis is a story about a a guy that you're going to know very well. Genesis being the first book of our Bible. But there was a a guy, he was the 11th son of 12, but he was dad's favorite. You know him as Joseph with the coat of many colors. And Joseph was a bit unwise at times in revealing some things that God had revealed to him. For instance, he told his brothers and his dad, hey, one day you guys are going to bow down to me. Now, let me tell you, if you have a dream like that, probably don't reveal that to your siblings. It might not end well. Just saying. But his dad's favorite, and finally, the the guys are out tending their herds in the wilderness. Dad sends Joseph with his coat of many colors out to check on the boys, and they see Joseph coming from afar. Now, you need to know also that Joseph was a devout man of God. He was a a guy that went to church every Sunday. He was at youth group when he was in youth group every Wednesday night. He even brought donuts to class on Sunday morning. I mean, this guy, he was all in. He loved God. But the brothers see him coming and they say, when Joseph gets here, let's just kill him. And it got to the point of murder. We'll just tell dad that a wild animal 
ate him. The older brother prevailed and he said, let's not kill him. Let's do something nicer. Let's just sell him into slavery. Okay, everyone's in agreement. And so Joseph arrives, they jump him, they rip his clothes off, throw him in a cistern, and they wait on the Camel Express to come by headed to Egypt. They pull Joseph out of the well, they sell him to this caravan headed to Egypt as a slave. Joseph gets to Egypt where he's auctioned off and a well-to-do nobleman by the name of Potiphar buys him. Joseph, of course, because he's a devout man of God, rises to become the, the chief slave in his home. And Potiphar's wife takes interest in Joseph. Joseph says, I can't sin against my God and I, I can't sin against your husband. The wife gets upset. False accusations land him in prison. And so you're getting to kind of see this storyline as it unravels. Okay, I'm a devout person of God. I've never missed worship. I always have loved God. But yet my brothers hate me. They've sold me into slavery. I'm in a foreign country where I'm falsely accused and now find myself in prison. However, in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 14, it says, but the Lord was with Joseph. And by chapter 45, we can see God's picture clearly in the rearview mirror. Because Joseph becomes the number two man in all of Egypt, answering only to the king of Egypt. God had a plan all along. But you look at those difficult moments and you, th you think, where is God in this? And in your own life, you've had moments as well. You've had relational issues. You ask yourself, where is God in this? You have a problem maybe overcoming that temptation that shows its face every once in a while or that addiction that you wish you could kick and you think, where is God in this? You struggle with your relationship with your, your kids. Maybe your marriage is having a tough time and you think, where is God in this? We, we in this room had a memorial service yesterday for someone who was gone way too soon because of COVID. And you ask the question, where is God in this story? But what we're reminded in scripture over and over again is that God is always with you. He will never leave you. He always will walk with you. As we dream 10 years ago about coming to this location and building this church, we were in our wilderness wanderings, if you will. And looking back, we can see how God was a part of every conversation, every moment in time, every meeting that we had to bring us to this location. And even this year, as we dream and talk about the future for Crosspoint, we recognize that God is in the middle of all of those conversations. God is Emmanuel. He is with you. He was with you. And finally, he will be with you. God will never, ever leave you. Two weeks ago, again, we were unpacking Luke chapter 2 and a powerful story about Jesus' birth and Mary and Joseph and their faith in God. But think about for a moment who Mary was, who Joseph was. Mary more than likely was about 12 to 14 years of age. She's pregnant, not married, having to go to a town she's never been to, and in the dead of night told there's no room for you 
don't care how pregnant you are, why don't you go hang out with the animals in the hay? Mary had one of those stories that is like, wow, God, where are you in the mix of all of this? But imagine if Mary could have seen the future. What would she have said? God will be with me when I tell Joseph that I'm pregnant, but it's part of God's plan. God will be with me when I get to Bethlehem and there's no place for me to stay except out with the animals on the outskirts of town. God will be with me when my husband and I and my new baby run to Egypt because someone wants to kill my baby. God God will be with me when when in the towns and villages and down Main Street in Jerusalem, the powers that be will be advocating violence against my son. God will be with me then. God will be with me when, when I'm standing on that Main Street in Jerusalem and I watch my son bloodied and bruised and naked, carrying a cross, headed for his death. God will be with me when I kneel at the foot of my son's cross and he takes his last breath. God will be with me in the silence of day one, day two, and day three for my son's death, only to realize on day three, there is an empty tomb. God will be with me in my future. He's Emmanuel. He is God with us. One of the most profound chapters in the New Testament is found in Romans chapter 8. Paul reminds us as his believers exactly what Jesus means to us. What does it really mean that God is with us? And Paul pens these words beginning in verse 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky, above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. At church, if you're here this morning, that deserves an amen. amen. We have an incredible God who's given us the greatest gift we could ever hope for, the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. But the question this morning is, are you with God? Because see, while we have forgiveness of sin, while we have the peace that passes all understanding, while we have true, genuine love, 
The only way that you get that is by saying yes to Jesus. What a beautiful gift you can give yourself today. By being baptized into his name, by saying yes to that risen Savior, rising up out of that water, absolutely washed clean of your sin, created new in Christ, begin to walk and journey with God in your life. We have a God who loves us that much. Let him give you that gift this Christmas season. But there might be some in here that have made that decision already, yet in your own mind, there's some doubt. There's little faith. You're not sure where you're at in your journey. And so as we sing this next song, our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And I want to encourage you, no matter who you are, to take some action, to move forward, to go find one of those couples and let them pray for you, let them pray over you, let them lay hands on you, remind you that you are worthy enough for God to send his son for you. It's the greatest gift that we ever have. We are so loved by an incredible God. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And so let's together raise our voices in one chord to sing that to our Holy Savior. Let's stand together.